Anybody feel like they're on edge lately? Can anybody relate to that guy? I mean, it's not the copier, but it's whatever it is in your life that just isn't working the way that it's supposed to work, and eventually you just flip. Uh, my name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor here at Lutheran Church of Hope in Ames. Haley already said it, and I want to say it again. We don't believe it's any accident that you're here. We're so glad to be here with you. We've been praying for you, and so I'm just glad that we can be worshiping together. Uh, I wish that we could have the long conversations that we would normally have when we gather here in the auditorium if the world was a little more normal right now, but of course it's not. But I tell you what, it's so refreshing just to see familiar faces, familiar eyes, really. Um, and I just I still feel that connection, and it just feels good to be in this space this morning, doesn't it? Can we praise God for that? I'm so glad. Now, that being said, we're continuing to keep a close eye um, on numbers and trends, uh, all relating to COVID. Um, you may have noticed this morning that we did one song uh, for opening worship. The reason for that is numbers are up. And uh, so we're going to minimize the risk for spreading COVID as much as possible. One of the ways that uh, COVID spreads and can spread is if we're not careful with our masks, if something were to slip, it could spread through singing. We breathe a little bit harder when we sing. Um, and so we're keeping the time down on which we're singing um, just, to, just to try to, again, fight the spread of COVID-19. Um, and once the numbers improve, which we're praying that they do, we'll go back to two songs. Um, we'll keep you updated on what's going on with Hope um, and uh, as we continue to gather in person, or if it's wise, and we believe that, uh, we believe that we're called to be wise as the church, and if we have to, we'll go back to uh, fully online. But in the meantime, let's just really enjoy these moments and savor them up together um, as we head into uh, the holiday season. Um, because, hey... It's not an ideal world that we're living in right now, but it is the world that we're living in. Nobody ever said that this world was going to be easy. We're talking about that today, um, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff. So I invite you to get comfortable, and I invite you to uh, bear with me through this as we talk about some tough stuff. A lot of times in life, we think that the printer's always supposed to work. We think that we shouldn't have to wear masks. We shouldn't have to socially distance ourselves, and yet here we are. There was an old theologian who wrote a book one time that said, if God loves me, why won't my locker open? It's the little stuff. But we're in a series that's called Jesus Didn't Say That. And one of the things that Jesus did not say is, you'll never have tough times. In fact, you heard in the reading this morning from John chapter 16, verse 1, right off the top, Jesus says, or excuse me, in verse 33, Jesus says, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me, because here on earth... You'll have many trials and sorrows. Ouch. It's true. We're living through them right now. It's good to admit that. It's good to acknowledge that. That might help us with patience with people around us who feel like they're living on edge right now. People are living on edge. People are going through trials and sorrows. Ever since this pandemic started, uh, depression, anxiety, and suicidal hotlines have increased traffic by a thousand percent. Google searches, online searches on search engines, 65% increase for people who are seeking therapy. The problem is we haven't had a 65% increase in available therapists. Substance abuse is going up. The Bible warns us about this in Proverbs chapter 31. It says, alcohol is for the dying and wine is for those in bitter distress. Now, this is ironic that it's in Proverbs chapter 31, because if you know Proverbs chapter 31, this is also a chapter that lists off a lot of great qualities about a potential spouse in your life. And 
there are a lot of uh, young men that I get to work with uh, in Kairos, and some of them talk about finding a future wife. They say, I'm just looking for a Proverbs 31 woman. So if you ever find yourself in a position where you're having a really hard time and you seek out things that aren't so great and someone judges you for it, say, I'm just being a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> Obviously, I'm taking that way out of context. But I do want to tell you this. We don't get to judge people because people are going through hard times. Instead, we should join them and we should help them. Man, stress is heavy right now. Anxiety is high. There was an election this last week. Did you hear about it? (laughs) 68% of people in a survey said that they are severely stressed, have been severely stressed out about this election. For context, in 2016, it was 52%. It's a major increase. People are frustrated. People are angry. Feels like we've been trying to do the right things. And yet here we are in the middle of a pandemic, division surrounding us, anger, anxiety, depression, all sorts of things. In Ecclesiastes chapter one, the author says everything's meaningless, completely meaningless. We get to these places, we feel numb, we feel empty, so we turn to those things. Substance abuse has increased by 40% in the last seven months in the, in the country. We look around, everything feels meaningless. Wish somebody would have given us a warning, right? You remember back in March? We were talking about, wow, man, this would be crazy if we're still doing this by Easter. Oh, hopefully by the summer. Okay, maybe in a couple years. (laughs) Thanksgiving's going to look different. Christmas will look different. Be nice if somebody gave us a warning for that. Jesus gives his disciples a warning. John chapter 16, at the beginning of the reading today, says, I've told you these things. I've told you these things. What has Jesus told his disciples? He's sitting at his last dinner with his disciples. This is the night when he's going to be betrayed, handed over to authorities, and he's going to die. And he's telling them plainly, listen, I'm about to go away. Things're going to get hard. And Jesus has made top-notch, high claims to these people. He's told them over and over again. I'm God. I'm on the throne of the universe. And I'm with you. But just because God's on the throne of the universe does not mean that things won't be hard sometimes. And so Jesus tells them plainly, I've told you these things as a warning so that when they happen, you'll know. I told you this would happen. And then you won't lose faith. This is not Jesus saying, I'm causing the evil in your life. But it's him saying there will be bad things in your life. And I love you enough to tell you that. It'd be nice to have a warning about those things, right? In fact, when somebody doesn't give us a warning and they do know what's going to happen, we start to lose trust in those people, don't we? Imagine if Jesus had been sitting there with his disciples and he knew that they'd have troubles in their life, especially these disciples. They would have serious troubles in their life for following Jesus after he died and rose from the dead. Imagine if they'd gone into those and Jesus had told them, it's all going to be fine. I'm on the throne. Everything's fine. Well, Jesus is on the throne. But every little detail does not always feel so fine. We could lose trust in somebody if they don't tell us the truth about it. When I was in seminary, my roommates and I, uh, these guys and I, we wanted to live together, so we were looking for a house. And uh, we found a house that we wanted to rent, so we toured it and we liked it. And so we told the guy, hey, we're going to move in. The day that we're moving in, 
The landlord says, all right, here's the keys. Everything's ready to go. By the way, there's like a little bit of a snake problem here. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I mean, I, I, you, might have like, you might have like one a year. You might, you might have like one a year. Ten snakes later after a month, I was getting a little concerned. My friends and I, we were hanging out one night in Minneapolis, and we run into this guy that another friend of ours knew. And we're making these connections, we're talking about these things, and we're telling each other our stories, different stuff like that. We're getting to know these people. And then up comes, out of nowhere, completely randomly, unplanned, the landlord happens to be in the same place as us that night. And I'm like, that's the snake guy. (laughs) But I'm trying to have grace in my heart, because I'm like, he probably didn't know, right? He didn't know. He comes up and he goes, how do you guys know each other? He's pointing to me and my friends and this other guy that we've just met. I'm like, well, well, I mean, I don't really know the guy. We just, we just met him. And then he looks at this guy that we just met and he goes, guess where these guys live? And he goes, where? He goes, the snake den. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> Turns out this guy that we had just met this night used to live in our house. And he said, dude, we had like 10 snakes a month. I'm like, I know. I had to confess and repent many times because in that moment, I hated my landlord. (laughs) I hated him. I've repented. His Christians were not supposed to hate. I lost trust. Anything that landlord told us from there on out, I didn't believe it. I moved out. My roommates were still living there. I had moved down here. My roommates were still living there. A week later, I'm talking to them. They're like, hey, yeah, our driveway is getting completely torn up right now. I'm like, why? I'm like, they found the snake den. Snake den underneath the driveway. They knew about it, but they told us it would be fine. We lost trust. I'd rather have somebody be honest with me about it. Tell me the truth. Uh, If you know me for more than an hour, you know that I like to run uh, because I I don't stop talking about it. Uh, The reason why I run or why I got into long distance running is because of this guy, Pastor Jeremy Johnson. Uh, You might recognize him. He is a pastor down at our West Des Moines campus. And Jeremy got me into long distance running. Jeremy encouraged me to try a marathon for the first time, and, and, I, and that's a picture of us after the marathon. Beforehand, I asked him, like, what's it going to be like? He goes, oh, <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to be tough. Seriously, it's going to be tough. He said, but you'll never forget it. It's going to hurt, but you will never forget it. And after that race, I think that we were like, just, I think it's ironic. There's a sign behind us that says, how you doing? And in my head, I'm like, not good. But I'll never forget it. You know, I, you can ask my wife. I throw everything out. I'm like opposite of a hoarder. I just, I'm like, hey, you know what? We haven't used that in three minutes. We should take it out. The one thing that I keep is running shoes. And that's also unfortunate for my wife because they stink. <laughs> oh, wow, these stink really bad. So I've got these running shoes right here, and I'm going to step away. But they're marked up. I mean, a lot of pain has been experienced in these shoes. I've got an app on my phone that I can tell you that in these shoes alone, I've ran over 750 miles. It's a little bit of a brag because I don't have much else going for me, okay? No, (laughs) But that's 750 miles worth of memories. I don't remember every single mile, but there are certain marks on these shoes. I can tell you exactly where I was and exactly what mile of my run I was on when I got a certain mark. Yeah, it's hard, but I remember it. And I hold on to it. 
So when I look at an old pair of running shoes, I'm like, yeah. I remember that it was hard. And yet there was a prize worth running for. Yeah, it's hard, but you, you don't stop running. For you, maybe it's not running. For most of you, maybe it's not running. Because I know that we all have different hobbies. But all of us, we try things that are hard. Jesus says, again, remember, he said, I've told you these things so that when you run into those problems, you do not abandon your faith. He's telling us the truth. Because he's building trust. He's saying, when you look back at these things, you will say, yeah, that was hard. But you'll remember the details. And you'll remember that I was there. So Jesus says, don't abandon your faith. Abandon. That's the word that's used there. In the original Greek, it's, it's a word that looks like this. It's skandalizo. Everybody say skandalizo. Skandalizo, it quite literally means scandalize or trip. When you run into problems, don't trip. Don't trip. What Jesus, I think, is really saying here is, don't trip because of me. Because you thought, since you had God in your life, everything would be perfect. I didn't say that. I'm on the throne. But it doesn't mean that every single thing in this world is going to be perfect. It means that I reign over the things that are hurting you. And they will not get the final say. And sometimes with God that bothers us. I don't know, God. That really messes with me. Because in order to follow you, sometimes it feels like my life is harder. And Jesus says, no, don't trip because of me. Sometimes in this race of life, we think Jesus is a hurdle. Something to trip over. Something to get out of the way. And Jesus says, no, I am not a hurdle. I am the power. I'm the power to take you places that you didn't believe that you could go before. I got into distance running after college. But when I was in college, I was on the track team and I was a decathlete. And a decathlon is basically when you have 10 different events combined into one. So you have to learn a lot of different events. And so one of the events I had to learn was pole vaulting. My parents were terrified about it. And when I was learning how to pole vault, there were days when I thought I looked like this, but in all reality, I actually looked like this. <laughs> I don't know where his head went. I just think that's the funniest picture. I remember getting so frustrated when I was trying to learn how to pole vault because, like, you see the bar, and you're like, there's no way I can get over that. I'm trying to use my body, use my own strength, and all this stuff. I'm like, this is just dumb. <laughs> I feel like this pole that I'm holding is just getting in the way. And my coach said, hey, you're tripping over the pole. The pole is your power. The pole is your only hope to get over the bar. The pole is the thing that will take you to places you didn't believe you could go before. You can only jump so high with your own power, but with that pole, you've got it. It's amazing. God takes things that seem meaningless, that seem empty, and we think because of those things, God's just a trip. God's a hurdle. God's a scandal. I just need to get that out of my life so I don't you know, set myself up for disappointment. But stick with God long enough. I mean, sometimes stick with God for a long time. Because remember our friend Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. 
Well, just a few verses later, Ecclesiastes is not feeling any better. And Ecclesiastes writes, we don't remember what happened in the past and future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. And I wonder if God is in heaven with the author of Ecclesiastes right now and saying, ha, there's another pastor who quoted you thousands of years later. And you thought no one would remember you. Oh, Ecclesiastes. Man, I took you to places you never thought you'd go. It's amazing. God's not a hurdle. God's your power. God's not something to trip over. God's something to embrace. More importantly, he's someone to embrace. So God gives us promises, and that first promise is there will be problems, but the second promise is you can take heart. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. We visited this verse at the beginning of the sermon. Well, we're back here again, because on, next next, next, on the next sentence, it starts with, but take heart. Take heart. Something special, I think, about this word, too. In the original Greek, it looks like this. We're, we're going to learn some Greek words today. I, I hope you don't mind. This is tharseo. Everybody say tharseo. To take heart, but maybe more simply, it, it even means this. To be courageous. To dare. You living on the edge? Good. Faith is living on the edge. Faith is daring to continue to put one foot in front of the other, even when you don't believe you can. I dare you to keep going. Now, if somebody says that who's cheering against you, don't fall for that dare. But when the God of the universe who promises to be with you all the way into the places we never want to go, including death, when he says, keep stepping, keep going, dare to do it. Step. Dare. Go for it. Pole vault continued to freak me out. Continued to freak me out, especially as the bar continued to get higher and higher and higher. There was a certain height where I felt like I'd hit my limit because I was just a little too bothered by like the whole trip down thing, you know? My coach said, Danny, the mat's going to catch you. The mat's not moving. And it is so thick. It will, it's a pillow, no matter what. You can't get hurt. If you come down on the, on the mat, on your back, you can't get hurt. It will catch you. Dare to do it. Dare to do it. I dare you. Try it out. Go as high as you can possibly go. Really let loose and see if it moves. See, not only is God your power, but when God lifts us up in somehow, some way, we find ways to mess things up. We just do. We're humans. And we hit the bar. We knock it down. God's not just the power. He's also the mat that catches you. And so the dare is this. The dare is not 
Go, be wild, risk everything, and then you never know, you might lose it all. It's no, you are walking on the edge, you are risking, and you might not know how exactly it's going to work out, but you do know that God will be there with you. He's not going anywhere. There's another biblical author that writes this about Jesus in Galatians chapter 2. This author is really starting to, this is Paul, he's starting to like, he's rationalizing this in his mind. I want to tell you who Paul is. Paul's a biblical author, but he wasn't always a biblical author. He was a a, a religious official. He was a Jewish person. And he was top of the religious world. He had all the rules. He knew all the rights from wrongs. And because he knew all the rights from wrongs, and because he did everything right, I mean, he writes about this extensively in in his writings in the Bible. He had the ability to judge other people. And if they didn't follow the rules the way that they were supposed to, he would punish them, he would arrest them, and at worst, sometimes he would put them to death. Especially Christians. Because for Paul, he thought, it's all about the rules. And if I want to get to God, I have to propel myself up there. I have to be my own power. And if I fall, I better have cat-like reflexes to land back on my feet because no one's there to help me. God is someone that I have to get to. And so these Christians come around, they say, hey, guess what? We found a new way to God. And it's not by anything that we can do. Instead, it's by God coming down to us. It's by God being our power. It's by God catching us. God is above us. God is below us. God is in us. God moves through us. He's here because he loves us in the good and the bad. And so a guy like Paul, who's focusing so much on the right and the wrong, he hears that and he's offended. He's scandalized. He trips. So one day he has this conversion experience. He sees Christ face to face. To his very surprise, he sees that God really is in the flesh in front of him. God has come. God can be my power. God can catch me. God will be with me. So Paul starts to rationalize. I trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so even when I knock the bar and I fall, he always catches me. This is why Jesus can say, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Now let's finish the sentence. Because I've overcome the world. You see, Just because we have trials and sorrows does not mean that God is not on the throne. And just because God is on the throne does not mean that we won't have trials and sorrows. Have you heard this this week? It's been very popular on social media to put out the phrase, God is still on the throne. Some people respond to that positively. Some people respond to that negatively. Some people say, God is on the throne, so nothing else matters. Well, that can't be true, because if nothing else matters, then God wouldn't show up here to fix everything else. That's what God is in the process of doing. So it's not that God is on the throne, so nothing else matters. No, God is on the throne, and he sees his kingdom, and he cares for his kingdom, and he loves his kingdom, so everything does matter. Now, at the same time, God is on the throne, but he's not a king hidden away in a palace far away who refuses to get to know the common people like you and me. 
God is on the throne, but there is room for all in his kingdom. So the purpose is not this. God is on the throne, so get over your problems. No, God is on the throne, and this king loves you, and this king cares for you, and this king looks you and says, you matter. You matter so much that I would love you enough to go to the cross for you and die for you. So it's not to say nothing matters. It's even when things are as bad as things can get, I have hope because this God says, I've overcome the world. And so those things that are oppressing me, those things that are ostracizing me, those things that are hurting me, they don't get the final say because God has overcome the thing that encompasses those things that are hurting me. We hear that? Things that hurt me exist within this world. And God doesn't just take over the things that hurt me. God takes over the thing that is over the thing that hurts me. God gets the final say. The Bible also compares God to a judge. And oftentimes we hear that and we're scared, we're terrified, we're worried. Oh no, God's going to judge me. He's going to hate me. He's going to condemn me. I have not overcome the world. I've messed up. I've hit the bar. I've knocked it down. I'm going to fall down into my trials, my troubles, my sorrows, the many things that Jesus warned me about. Oh, God's a judge that's terrifying. God is a judge who's in favor of people. God judges in favor of people so much that he would go into death to judge in favor of people. I mean, goodness gracious, sometimes, like, as Christians, we talk about uh, God in this such a fearful sense. And yes, it's important to say, okay, I am in awe and wonder, and I fear God in that way. I fear God because I fear his power and his majesty and his wonder. But he's my friend, and he loves me, and he cares for me. And God is the judge who one day will look at me and the evil things that have tried to overtake me. And he says, evil goes to death, you come to life. I've overcome the things that surround the things that are hurting you. Yes, you will have trials. Yes, you will have sorrows. Good news, I've overcome the world. Okay, here's another Greek word for you. Ready? There's that overcome. You know what it means? You recognize that? In the original Greek, it's, it's Nike. We've been pronouncing it wrong. It's actually Nike, <laughs> but I don't think that's as marketable. It's Nike, and it, and it literally means victory. That's what I think of when I look at my shoe. Wearing through the sole. Man, they stink. <laughs> They're messy. kind of like God gets down into the dirt God's willing to get messy he refuses to let you do it alone and you look back and you'll see the, the hard marks you will know. You will never, you are never alone. Now Nike, they've got that really famous slogan, right? It's just do it. 
So Nike means victory. So just do it. Just do whatever you have to do to be victorious. Come on, just do it. Put the shoes on, run a little harder, run a little faster, run a little longer. Just do it. Come on, just do it. Quit complaining. Just do it. I saw one of the most insensitive tweets I think I've ever seen in my entire life this week when someone says, regardless of whoever is president, most of the problems you have in your life are your own fault. What? Do you imagine if I came up here and said that in a sermon? Congratulations, you blew it. Even if we're true, it, it's, not good, it's not a good way to start off a relationship. I would have no right to stand before you and say that. None. I don't have the power to get up over the bar. I've knocked it down many times. And if it were just me, I'd be falling down back into my trials, my sorrows. God doesn't seem to care whose fault it is. When people are hungry, God feeds them. When people are sick, God heals them. He doesn't pre-screen someone. Did you just do it? There's a man who's paralyzed and his friends take him to the feet of Jesus and say, can you please heal him? Jesus doesn't say, come on, just do it. Get up, just do it. Just do it on your own. Jesus tenderly says, your sins are forgiven. Meaning, all the faults that you've had, all the mistakes that you've, that you've made, all the things that you left undone, I can fix that for you. The only way you're going to do it is if I do it for you. I think we're living in a world where so many people are just trying to do it. Just gotta do more. Jesus is on the cross. He says it's finished. In the Greek he says to telestai. Telestai means it is finished. It was oftentimes said when somebody would have finished paying off a debt. But in its simplest form, it means done. The world tells you, maybe your own, your own mind tells you, you just got to do it. You got to do more. Come on. Jesus says, I've done it. I've done it. Jesus Christ on the cross. He's in the process of being executed. He's on the cross and in one moment he's shrieking out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's thirsty, he's alone. He says, I thirst, I need something to drink. He's helpless on the cross. Nobody's there for him. Nobody cares for him. They just want him dead. They're killing him. They're mocking him. 
And then there's this transition of a moment. Jesus goes from shrieking, and then in a claim of victory, he shouts out over the people, I've done it! I've done it! You don't have to do it anymore. I've done it! I don't know, the Bible doesn't give us revelation on what exactly what's happening in Jesus' mind, but I just think for a moment, I wonder, I wonder, was there just a moment where Jesus saw, yes, he sees something that we don't see. We see the physical world, but Jesus sees more, he sees deeper. He doesn't just see you for what's on the surface, he sees what's in your heart, he sees what's in your soul, he sees the good, he sees the bad. He knows the things that you try to hide from people. And he knows the things that the rest of the world is missing out on because you've never shown to anyone. So there on the cross, he sees the physical crowd mocking him. But what does he see spiritually? What does his heart see? What does his soul feel? What happened to where he went from saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me to, I've won. I did it. It's done. In the last seven months, I've walked with, as a pastor, uh, it's an honor to be able to do this with people, but I've walked with people through more sorrow and pain in the last seven months than I had in my entire life before then. Tragic deaths. People you know. Remembering deaths. Trials and sorrows are real. My goodness, just last month, one of our Cairo students died unexpectedly in her sleep. Matthew Langbecker, our worship leader, and I, we went to the memorial service after we helped him lead it and after church one Sunday, and just the look on those students' faces, the students' sorority sisters. I don't have to describe very much in detail what that looks like because most people in this room knows what it feels like to lose somebody. If you don't know what it's like to lose somebody, you know what it's like to hurt, to lose something that was important to you. you like right now like oh and we see where this is going don't we I know when it's going to be normal again oh man but some things can't be normal again because I lost that person this world killed them it took them from me has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. He's claimed victory. We so desperately need to hear that right now. He's claimed victory. He's done it. You don't have to do anymore. He's done it. 
So before we sing this last song, I invite you all to stand. And I invite you all to stand because I believe that every single person in this room knows what it's like to hurt. You know what it's like for trials and sorrows. To a point where now when the new trials and sorrows come, you're not always that surprised. God's not surprised either, not because he threw it on you, but because he knows the way that this world works. He still claims victory. I believe that there are, I believe that there are specific people in this room who are really feeling this right now, who are really feeling that they need victory proclaimed over them. So as an entire congregation, like, you know how like when you're at a game and like your favorite team scores and Will you join me in raising your hands? And even when I want to walk through the world with my head down, broken. I can lift my hands, my savior. I try to jump off of him, he'll catch me. Why don't you close your eyes and take whatever posture you feel is right. For me, I just just want to look up to God right now. Lord, I just want to say thank you. I say thank you for coming to us. You promise us you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will never abandon us. We are never alone. No, never alone. You have the final word. You proclaim victory. Lord, I don't know how many miles are ahead. It doesn't feel like it's one. It doesn't even feel like it's the marathon. My goodness, this feels like an endless race sometimes. You will be who we need you to be. You don't just reign over us, you come down with us. Oh God, I feel your presence and I need your presence now more than ever before. Oh, and you don't reject. You never reject. You never reject, God. You never reject. Oh, hear that. He never rejects. He never rejects. You may have been rejected by others. You may have been discouraged by others. You may have been told to sit out by others, but God will not reject you. He embraces you. He cares for you. He's proud of you. He created you. He'd rather die than spend eternity without you. That's exactly what he did. God, you are victorious. You one. 
You've done it! <laughs>